Well, we are starting a new sermon series today called The Life of David. And this is a really important sermon series because David is really well known for his relationship with the Lord. And it has implications for us about our relationship with the Lord and how we're walking out this thing that we call faith and following Jesus and trusting Jesus. And I believe it's going to have a huge impact on your life, on reflecting on what it means for uh, your walk with the Lord. And, um, and so I'm excited for it. You need to know that when I was growing up, uh, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a Dallas Cowboy football player. That's what I wanted to be. And the reason why I wanted to be that is because, um, I mean, in the early 90s, we were dominant, okay? I'm just saying, we, meaning I was on the team at 10 years old. We were dominant as a fan. Uh, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, the, the triplets, right? And here's the thing about the Cowboys. You either love them or you hate them. Exactly. It's one or the other, right? There is no middle ground. And is there any Cowboy fans in the house of the Lord this morning? Like, okay, yeah, more this hour, last hour. And yeah, the rest of you guys are not Christians, but that's okay. Anyway, um, and so uh, I loved uh, watching them grow up. Still love watching them. I'm a fan. Um, but the reason why I wanted to be a football player when I grew up is because I love football. I love the game, still love the game. And uh, th there's another aspect of it. Um, the reality is, is there's a certain element of being a professional athlete that as a young kid, like, you, you, you want to be famous, right? Like there's this fame that's attached to what we want to be when we grow up. And um, for professional athletes, like that's a, a big pull, right? Uh, there's other things that we want to be when we grow up that are tied to that idea of being famous. There's just something that we're drawn to as human beings to have our name be known is what we're drawn for. What's interesting is they uh, actually did a survey recently. Lego did a survey about what kids want to be when they grow up today. They surveyed 3,000 kids between the ages of 8 to 12, and these were the answers. Astronaut, uh, musician, professional athlete, number three, a teacher, or a YouTuber, which was not an answer when I was growing up because YouTube didn't exist. Um, and what's fascinating is YouTuber, that was the number one answer. Almost 60% of kids between the ages of 8 to 12 years old want to become a YouTuber. Why? Because it's popular. You become well-known. It's tied to likes and subscriptions and your name becoming famous. Uh, we as a culture are drawn to fame. If you think about it, a lot of the things that we watch are tied to becoming famous. Even the shows we watch, the show that's, I don't think it's around anymore, but the show American Idol, right, is all about the no-name person becoming famous through musicianship. Uh, America's Got Talent, again, a no-name that becomes popular. A lot of the, the celebrities that we know of today aren't even celebrities that are actresses or musicians. They're people that become famous for no reason at all. Have you notice that? Like, or it's a really sketchy way they become famous, right? But they're famous and, and really applauded because... That's what we do as people. We look and see fame and we're drawn to it. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, I don't struggle. I don't really want to be famous. 
That might be true. You don't want the applause of a crowd or applause of, a, of an online viewership. But I would say that this is true for all of us. We may not necessarily want the applause of a crowd, but all of us, deep down to a certain extent, want the approval of other people, don't we? Which is actually the core of being famous. It's about getting approval. And what does it look like to get approval? Because we want approval from our parents to a certain extent, don't we? We want approval from our friends, our friends to like us. Who doesn't want to have friends and influence people? Like we all do, right? That's just part of culture and society that we live in. What we're going to find out is even though that's how culture lives and culture interacts with famous people, is that what something that we're supposed to desire and want? And what was it about David that was so opposite to that? This guy in the Old Testament that we learn about, what was it about David that set him apart from the rest of society at that time? What was it that God looked at and saw him and said, I want to partner with that guy? What was it about David? And how was he different? What name did he care about the most? Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you where we're at. We're about a thousand years before Jesus comes onto the scene. And what's happened is Israel, the nation of Israel, has gone and taken the promised land. And as they've taken the promised land, they've set up what they call judges. There's a whole book called the book of Judges where different people judged and kind of ruled for the nation of Israel. They weren't necessarily a king, but they were a judge. And there were some good judges and some not so good judges. Eventually, there's a guy that comes on the scene named Samuel. Everybody say Samuel. Samuel is a prophet, the first prophet that we can essentially uh, claim with that title since the time of Moses. And he comes onto the scene and he's trying to help lead Israel forward by putting a monarchy in place because the nation of Israel wanted a monarchy. They wanted a king. And so they put a king in named Saul. And right at 1 Samuel chapter 16, we get introduced to David... And David is about ready to take over for Saul. Why? Let's take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to, to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, what's it say? Looks at the heart. Then Jesse uh, called Abinab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. 
Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse said, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the story of David being chosen and David being anointed to take over king of Israel in place of Saul. If you're going to understand why David was chosen, you have to understand Saul. You can't understand one without the other. And so I just want you to look at this summary of Saul real quick with me. Notice that Saul was chosen by Samuel in Israel. It was Israel that wanted a king. And so Israel and, and um, uh, Solomon, or Samuel, excuse me, chose, chose Saul. They're the ones that chose Saul. We're going to see that David was chosen differently. He's also a herder of donkeys, which is an interesting description, description of him. In fact, when they go to choose uh, him and make him king, not only is he herding donkeys, but he's actually really bad at it. Like the donkeys are like spread out and lost, and it's really a bad introduction to this guy who eventually becomes king. He's really bad at his job. In addition to that, he's continually defaming his anointed position. He continually makes bad decisions about really what his role is as king over Israel. He's not listening carefully to the Lord. He's always being disobedient in little ways, and he's continually tripped up with what lies ahead of him. He's always struggling with the role that's been given to him. And lastly, he builds a monument in his own name, when God is the one that goes and allows victory over the Malachites, he builds a monument to allow himself to be worshiped. God says this finally in verse 11 of chapter 15, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So if you're going to have to understand David, you have to understand Saul. This is who David's following. And God's rejected Saul. But what's David like? Look at how David's chosen. David's chosen by God. David is out tending sheep, and God's like, this is the one I'm after. This guy's heart is different than Saul's heart. This is the one that I want. And he's a herder of sheep. And not only is he a herder of sheep, he's described in the Old Testament as being really good at his job. Like he's described as someone who takes on predators, takes on bears, takes on cougars, lions to keep the sheep from being consumed. David's not just herding donkeys, he's herding sheep and he's darn good at it as well. He walks humbly with his anointed position. He never takes advantage of his position early in his life. Later on, we see that he's anointed, that God really loves because he listens to him carefully. He's always landing on his feet. When, when trouble comes, when hard things come, David always seems to be able to figure it out. The Lord always seems to have his hand on him and is blessing him because he's walking with the Lord closely. And he defends God's name. 1 Samuel 16, 13. From that day on, we just read this. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon 
David. What does all of this describe? If we were to summarize all of David's life and all of Saul's life, it's really these two Hebrew phrases that we need to understand. And the first one is Kadush Hashem. And I want you to say that with me. The first word, Kadush Hashem. Kadush Hashem. And the second one is Halal. Say it with me. Halal Hashem. What do these words mean? What does this even look like? What does this mean? Leviticus chapter 22 tells us. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 31. God says, keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name. For I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy. Kadush Hashem. What does that mean? It means that you understand that your job is to make God's name famous. That your job as a follower of God, as an Israelite, is to make God's name famous. And David understood that his job was to make God's name famous. That it would be famous throughout the whole world. That you carried God's name with you and that you, how you live, had implications for how the world saw God. Saul, on the other hand, did the opposite. Did what Leviticus talks about. Halal uh, uh, Hashem, which means to profane God's name. He continually was taking advantage of his power, was really only concerned about his own name, and in fact, all throughout uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, which I want to encourage you guys in your bulletin, there's a reading plan for every single week through the sermon series, for you look at the story of Saul and David as it unfolds. And you're going to see, if you look at Saul's life, he's always worried about his name. He's always worried about himself. He's always insecure about his position and his role, and he continually, in the process, drops the ball when it comes to carrying God's name. He's continually profaning the name of the Lord. David, on the other hand, is continually making God's name famous by how he lives. I love this quote by John He says this, David will manifest flaws at least as great as Saul's. David is not perfect. We're going to find that out. He is not perfect. However, he is different than all the other kings that follow after him. How is he different? Here's how he's different. He has one great strength that will stand out as the subsequent Old Testament story looks back on him and compares him with his successors. These successors often failed to give Yahweh the exclusive commandment Yahweh looked for, that God looked for. For all his faults, at least David never looked to other gods, to other deities. There was something God could see about him. David understood that there was only one God. David understood that God's name was holy. David understood that God was a jealous God and that he does not share his glory. He does not share his name with any other names. There is only one, and David understood that. He was not perfect, but he did not worship other gods. Did he make a a horrible mistake that we're going to learn about? Absolutely. Did it have consequences? Horrible consequences. 
But early on in David's life, he understood there was only one name above all names. There was only one name to make famous. That he was called to live, Kaddush Hashem. That he was going to walk this life of faith by believing that there's only one person worthy of living for. And that was God. What's interesting is even though David uh, was described as a man after God's own heart, it kind of, the Bible kind of uh, writes as if David like is going to be this scrawny looking guy. If you notice all the other brothers that passed by when they talked about him, it, what did the other brothers look like? Do you remember what it said? I want to hear from you. What did it say about the other brothers? It what? Tall and strong, like he was a man's man, right? And so automatically I'm reading that and I'm thinking, well, David's probably gonna be this scrawny little wimp, right? A non-attractive looking guy. But that's not what the scripture actually says. It talks to David about that he's really strong and handsome. It tells later that he fought off bears and lions from attacking sheep. And that he's really actually an impressive man. Not only is he like a man's man in regards to being tough, but in addition to that, if you guys know, like he wrote music, and poetry, ladies, like this is the perfect guy, right? Like this guy is tough and tender, right? Like he's all that and a bag of potato chips, right? But that wasn't his most impressive quality. That's not what set David apart. What set David apart was 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. God said this, now your kingdom, Saul, it's not gonna last. Your kingdom salt's not going to last. The Lord has already looked for a man who is dear to his heart. The more uh, popular translation is we're looking for a man who's after God's own heart. You've heard that translation before, right? That David was a man after God's own heart. He has appointed him king of his people. That's because you haven't obeyed the Lord's commands. A man after God's own heart. What does that mean? That he's perfect? No. A man after God's own heart understands that I am to Kaddush Hashem. I'm supposed to carry God's name and that God's name is meant to be famous in all that I do. You can see it in all that David does early on in his walk that he cares about God's name. He cares about making God's name famous. And it shows up in his writings. It shows up in his poetry. It shows up in what he writes. Psalm uh, 34, I will extol. That's just a, a fancy word to say praise. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. And the fame of people? No, I will glory in the Lord, the, the Lord's name. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt my name. No, his name. Let me exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord. You is holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. What was David's best quality? He walked closely with the Lord. He understood 
Kadush Hashem. He understood that it was his job not to make his own name great, but to make God's name great and holy and lifted up. Here's the thing. What's true then is true now. God is looking for people like David. God wants to partner with people to make his name great. God is still looking for someone like you that would carry his name into the world and make it famous. He wants all of the world to be saved. He's drawing all of his children to him, but he's not doing it apart from his children. He uses you to bring about his fame to the rest of the world. God wants to use you. The question is, is will you be a person that's after God's own heart? Meaning, will you be a person that's about God's name through your life? Who will get the applause in your life? You or God? Who will get the attention in your life? God or you? Who will get the approval from the people in your life? God or you? What is it that you are actually living for? And here's the thing. I think that even though the world lives with this idea of fame and approval as something that we attain for or we go after, what's fascinating to me is more and more of celebrity culture is, is actually telling us it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Anybody Justin Bieber fan? Oh, yeah. He's got a... <laughs> There's one super fan in the front row. Justin Bieber, song came out last fall, top five hit. Do you know the name of that song? I think I heard it. Lonely? Lonely. Lonely. Well, why? Lonely? What's that song about? Well, look up the lyrics. It's talking about how he's famous. Everybody knows him. He's got lots of money. Like he's a celebrity guy. But guess what? His life is lonely. It's all, all that it's cracked up to be. His own name being lifted up, not what it's cracked up to be. Not worth it. And I think Justin Bieber's trying to use his platform because as you know, he's now a follower of Jesus. He's using his platform to try and communicate to the world. You guys, like, it's not my name that's worth living for. There's only one name that's worth living for. Amen? It's Jesus. And Justin Bieber's not perfect. But he's beginning to realize, Kaddish Hashem. It's not about my name. Because when I live for my name, it's lonely. It's not really worth it. But there is a name that's worth living for. The name of names, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, his name is Jesus. And I think that we all know that and we actually long for that. I think that as we begin to understand that there is a name worth living for, that it's God's name and not our own, that that's actually what satisfies us. That that's actually what, what fills uh, us full of purpose and actually life. It's not our own name. It's God's name because God's perfect and we're not. And he's good and we're not. It's him that's worth living for. And it's in these moments that we actually begin to see it play out. Last week uh, during the Easter sermon, we talked about different eyewitnesses of the resurrection and how their lives were radically transformed. A couple of those people uh, were Paul and James. But do you remember the story, the last one that we close with? 
What was the last one? Do you remember his name? Peter. And there was a lot of you that came up to me and said, man, that, I didn't know that about Peter. I didn't know that about Peter and his wife. I didn't know that they could have denounced Jesus like they did earlier and their lives would have been spared. I didn't know that Peter watched his wife be killed. I didn't know that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think it would be worthy. He'd be worthy to be killed like his Messiah. And a lot of you said that story touched you. Why? This is why I think why. Because in that moment, what did Peter choose? Kadesh Hashem. He understood this wasn't about him. As he watched his wife killed and his own life taken, he chose to bring about Jesus' name to become famous. And 2,000 years later, we're talking about Jesus' name because of how Peter lives. Is this making sense to you this morning? He lived for Jesus' name. And it's actually what we're called to be as his children. That we don't carry our own name. We carry God's name with us in all that we do. How's this look practically? Well, here's another example. We watched Casey and Ashley get baptized last week, which baptism is essentially just a picture of someone saying, I don't live for myself. I live for Jesus. I've surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus and he's Lord of my life. It's his name that I carry now. And so Casey and Ashley were baptized last week and it was amazing to be a part of their story in a real way. But here's the thing that I want to tell you. They went and they filmed that on Facebook last week, right? They went and, and, and had their whole experience take place on social media with their phone and had it shared. And, and it was amazing to experience that with them and to see all these people like be a part of it, right? Well, now as we're in the midst of, of watching them grow, Casey text messages me yesterday. And he says, do you, uh, do you know what just happened? I said, what? He goes, I just got invited to pray over my son's motorcycle race that's taking, that took place today. Because his little boy races motorcycles south of Boise. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, they just came up to me. They must have seen that I got baptized. And the person that's in charge of the race came up to me and said, do you want to pray for the event in front of everybody before we start? And he's like, yeah. 260 little kids and racers, adults racing, and over 500 participants there cheering on. Like over 700, almost 1,000 people. And Casey's praying over the racing event, lifting up whose name? Jesus. Kadush Hashem. It's his name that we live for. It's his name that we carry. It's his name that matters. Not ours. Who gets the applause in your life? Who gets the approval in your life? Here's what I want you to think about as we wrap up today is, is the way you live your life is not just about your actions. It's not about your name. How you live your life, there are implications 
for how the world sees your God that you worship and that you sur- you've surrendered to and that you've said, I'm going to live for. How you walk shows the world what your God is like. And so when we step into our work, it's not just your name. It's Jesus' name. The way you lead your family, it's not you. It's Jesus' name and how you lead your family. Your kids are going to attribute your heart, your thoughts, your behavior, your actions to the God that you claim that you worship. Your neighbors, your neighbors, the way you live and the way you act, they are going to get a picture of who our God is like through you. So are you a person that Kaddish Hashem's or Halul Hashem's? Are you Saul? Or are you David? And here's the thing. It's really easy to carry God's name when things are going well, right? It's really good to carry God's name when lots of blessing going on, lots of, lots of easy things that are happening. But will you carry God's name when it's difficult? Will you carry God's name when, when your spouse is struggling? Will you carry God's name when there's injustice? Will you carry God's name when you don't feel like God is near? Will you carry God's name when your spouse leaves you? Will you carry God's name when everything within you wants to do the opposite of what God's word says? Will you carry his name? David understood this. What about us? What would it look like if we carry God's name no matter the consequence, even if it cost us our lives? What would change? What would our work look like if we realized our work wasn't unto our boss, but it was unto the Lord and all that we do. Here's what I know is that David is an amazing character, but I want to read this passage that pops up a thousand years later after Jesus has resurrected. It said that after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it's from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. As much as David is amazing, There's a greater one than David, and it's Jesus. And Jesus wants to invite you into a relationship where he forgives you, 
loves you, pursues you, makes all things right in your life, in this life or in the life to come, if you're willing to surrender to him, if you're willing to make him Lord, if you're willing to make your heart a heart that's after God's heart, if you're willing to carry his name. I want to invite you to bow your heads as we get into our time of communion. And I want you just to pray about this. How are you doing making God's name famous? Are you living like David? Or are you living like Saul? And what is Jesus inviting you into and trusting him a little bit more right now? Spend some time with the Lord as we prepare.